0: Have you ever looked back on a situation of great danger and distress and thought to yourself, if it were not for the Lord, that that would have been a disaster? Have you ever um, looked back, perhaps, um, on your life and and thought, the Lord protected me and and preserved me from that great danger? Maybe it was um, some major accident. Maybe He kept you from going to a, a company or a firm that, shortly imploded. Uh, Maybe He kept you from pursuing or continuing or or going further, deeper in some relationship that was bad for you personally, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Have you ever looked back on some situation and thought to yourself, "The, the Lord protected me and preserved me from serious harm? Have you ever looked back with relief and gratitude and thought the Lord delivered me? That's the perspective of the psalm that we're looking at together this morning. Psalm 124. And given the busyness of life, it's, it's often hard to stop and, and look back on God's great deliverances. But it's important to do. For as we reflect on God's past deliverances, we're reminded really of our smallness and of God's greatness. We're encouraged to trust Him with what lies ahead because He's been faithful in the past. We're energized to tell others that he's a God who delivers. He's a God that saves. This is what we are going to think about together this morning as we look at Psalm 124. It's my prayer that as we look at this Psalm that our faith would be furthered, that our love for the Lord Jesus would be deepened, and that hope in God's help alone would be anchored. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn. Open your Bibles to Psalm 124. I think you'll be helped if you turn there. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's on page 517. We're continuing our study through the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent, as you may recall, there are these group of 15 psalms stretching from about Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These are psalms that Israelite pilgrims sang as they made their their trips to Jerusalem, really for the three annual feasts often. Uh, These were the uh, ancient and godly mixtape, if you will, as they took on the road with them as they journeyed to Jerusalem. They were uh, composed at different times in Israel's history. They probably reached their final completed form as something of a finished set, a mini hymn book, uh, sometime probably after the Babylonian captivity. These songs, they're, they're useful to us. Like ancient Israelite pilgrims, we too are headed somewhere. The ancient pilgrims. We're on their way to Jerusalem to worship, and we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're headed to the new Jerusalem. We will soon uh, see our God face to face, as we've just sung in that last psalm. They're useful to us. They, they teach us how to be holy and happy and hearty and heavenly-minded Christians in our sojourn here on this earth. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 124, and and in this psalm, we learn that we ought to confess that we were hopeless without the help of the Lord. That's the main idea of this psalm. Confess that you were hopeless without the help of the Lord. If you wanted a single sentence to summarize this sermon and this psalm, that's it. Confess that you were hopeless without the help of the Lord. Let me just read the psalm and see if you can spot that idea in the psalm for yourself. Follow along now as I read Psalm 124, verses 1 to 8. A song of ascent. If it had not been the Lord Yahweh who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord Yahweh who was on our side. When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord Yahweh, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Here's how I want us to proceed in this study of this psalm. I want to seek to persuade you of the main idea of the psalm, that we ought to confess that we were hopeless without the help of the Lord. And then, secondly, I want us to take a closer look at the magnitude of the danger that we faced, our former danger. And thirdly, I want us to meditate on God's might in our deliverance. So if you're taking notes, then I've got three simple headings for the outline of this sermon. Your confession, your danger, and your deliverance. Your confession, your danger, and your deliverance. Let's begin with our first point, your confession. And here I want to try to prove to you as best I can, the main idea of this psalm is simply that we should confess that we were hopeless without the help of the Lord. Uh, The first and best way to prove this is simply to read the psalm again. So follow along as I read Psalm 124 again. See if you can spot this idea. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord Yahweh who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord Yahweh who was on our side, when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord Yahweh who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord Yahweh who made heaven and earth. Well, as you can tell from the inscription of this psalm, it was written by David. We, we don't know the historical circumstances which first gave rise to this psalm, but we might hazard to guess that it was some occasion after some occasion of great deliverance from the Lord. Perhaps it came... After the defeat of Goliath and the Philistines, remember how David proclaimed to Goliath as he came to him, I come to you in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And how he trusted the Lord to deliver him. It was only through the Lord's miraculous deliverance that David's victory and escape, the people of Israel's victory and escape was secured over the Philistines. That's one possibility in David's life. Perhaps there was another occasion on which David marveled at his danger and the Lord's deliverance and so wrote this psalm. We, we don't ultimately know the historical circumstances which first gave rise to this psalm, but there's even a, a usefulness to that. The, the fact that this psalm is kind of general and, and generic means that Israelites at different times in their history and their experience could pick up this psalm and make good use of it in their hearts and lives. For example, we could Imagine the people of God coming out of the Babylonian captivity, thinking to themselves, we have escaped the snare of the Babylonians. We, we've not been given as prey to their teeth. Many in Israel's long history would have found different occasions and times uh, to make good use of this psalm, to rejoice in God's deliverance. The reality is that Israel's history is, is littered really with deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. Think of the, the people of Israel at the Red Sea with the armies of Pharaoh coming down upon them and the Lord he delivered them. Uh, think about the time of the judges when they faced various oppressors and the Lord delivered them. Or think about the threats of Sennacherib, but the Lord delivered them or deliverance as we've mentioned from the Babylonian captivity. David's God, the God of the Bible, is a God of deliverance. He delivers his people time and time and time again. And if you belong to God, then you know full well that he delivers his people from danger. So, reflecting back on some occasion of deliverance in his life and the history of Israel, David begins this psalm by confessing on behalf of Israel, if it had not been the Lord Yahweh who was on our side, then all would have been lost. The psalm you see there is framed kind of in an if-then fashion, right? If the Lord had not been on our side, then we would have been lost. But the joy of the psalm is the Lord was on our side. So we were not lost. We were delivered. The help that God gives is that He delivers His people from final disaster. The Lord is on the side of His people, delivering them from danger. And notice that in verse 1, David, he begins this confession... But then he stops. He he stops and he invites the people of Israel to join in and make this their confession too. It's not a confession that's meant to be made simply by one person, but by all of God's people. This is a confession to be made by all who've been delivered from danger by God. If you have been delivered from danger by God, then you ought to make that confession before God and men. This psalm you need to realize wants something out of you. It wants you to make a confession. Make a confession out of your heart and soul. David's saying, Israel should now say, and you, if you've been delivered, you should now say, I've been delivered by the hand of the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. And if without him, I would have been hopeless. Think about past trials, past difficulties, past deliverances, Christian. When you think about them, do your lips first complain of the difficulty or confess God's deliverance. It's easy to feel entitled to a smooth path, isn't it? We, we live in a world that loves to actually feed our comfort. We can order something that arrives in just a couple of days or even order groceries that will arrive in just a couple of hours. We love that comfort and ease and, and that kind of generates an atmosphere where we, we want that comfort all the time and no affliction or difficulty. It's so It's easy to feel entitled to a smooth path. But how would your trials change if you remembered the end, even the very end, in the beginning? Even in the middle of difficulty, keep the end in view. If the Lord is on your side, you've been delivered and you will be delivered. Even if these trials extend to the very end of your earthly life, you will know deliverance by the hand of God. David he discloses the fact that a people rose up against Israel and what's interesting and we'll have to come back to this later what's interesting that word for people there in in uh, our our Bibles it's the word for Adam people of the dust the people of the earth people that God made these are the people who rose up against Israel and Israel as we see here they were in serious trouble serious danger if it were not for the Lord they would have been devoured Right? They would have been swallowed up alive, verse 3. If it were not for the Lord, they would have drowned. All of the imagery there in verses 4 and 5 is, is water imagery. It's, there's a flood that sweeps away, a, a torrent of water, even raging water that goes over the head. You know, In our day and age, for the most part, we, we like water. We uh, like to go to the beach and uh, lay on the sand and watch the surf come in. Or we like to go to the lake because below the water there's fish that we like to catch. We, we like water for the most part. But it was not the case for ancient Israelites. For them, water was a, a symbol of chaos and destruction. Right? There were floods that came upon the earth. The waters were deep and dangerous to the ancient Israelite. Verses two to five give us the sense that the only reason that Israel was not devoured or drowned in the anger and rage of their enemies is because the Lord was on their side to help, and no other help could do. It was the Lord who prevented Israel from being eaten like prey, in verse 6. It was only because the Lord broke the snare of the fowler that Israel escaped, verse 7. It was only the Lord who made man, who could rescue His people from the anger of man. It was only the Lord who made the waters, who could overcome the anger of those that raged like mighty waters. The God who made all creation is the only source of salvation. The God who made all creation is the only source of salvation. This is what David and the people of Israel confess in this psalm. They were helpless without the help of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this is no less true of you, Christian. If the Lord Jesus were not on your side, then you would have been lost to death, judgment, and hell. Your sins would have plunged you underneath the flood of God's wrath. And justice and if the Lord were not on your your side defending you from all of your enemies then you would have drowned under their rage the confession of this psalm must be your confession too you must confess that you are hopeless without the help of the Lord Jesus and just like the ancient Israelite the true believer in Jesus abandons all hope in himself abandons all hope in his good works, abandons all hope in any earthly person or comfort, and looks to the Lord Jesus alone for deliverance, help, and salvation. There are some of you perhaps here this morning who are hoping in yourself instead of the help of the Lord. There are some of you here this morning, perhaps even among our children, who are hoping in your heritage. Children and young people, being born into a Christian home is no hope or help Before God's holy throne. You need to look to the Lord Jesus alone for your deliverance. Look to him for help and salvation. There there are some of you here this morning who are hoping in your good works. There may be some of you here this morning who who are turning up to church. Perhaps you're thinking about joining or you've even joined. And perhaps you're trusting in your goodness You're hoping in your church attendance. You're hoping in your past participation in religious ceremonies or services. You're hoping in your daily Bible reading or prayer. You're hoping in your desire to do the right thing or perhaps having done the right thing at some point in the past. As our brother Mark put it in Bible study on Wednesday night. You're hoping in your religious resume. When you think about why you ought to be accepted by God. Uh, perhaps you think to yourself, I'm, I'm not an extortioner, I pursued justice, I'm not an adulterer, I, I didn't storm the Capitol, I fast and pray regularly, I'm not a racist, I'm not a robber, I'm not a murderer, I give to the poor, I, I give to the church, I don't abort babies, I don't lie, cheat or steal, I stay at home and raise my kids, I'm a good husband, I'm a submissive wife, I provide for my family, I lead devotions at home, I lead a small group at church, I read books on theology, Friends, these are things that go on a religious resume. And your confession cannot be that your hope and help is in any of those things. Or anything else for that matter. You must come to confess that you are hopeless without the help of the Lord. That is the confession of this psalm. And it must be your confession too. From beginning to end, this psalm is a confession. David confesses. And he says, Israel, join me and let's confess. And at the end is a confession. Our help is only in the Lord. This is a confession from beginning to end. And part of the reason that we fail to make this confession our confession is because we misunderstand or misperceive the magnitude of our danger. This is why it's imperative that we rightly grasp the gravity of our danger. So let's turn and consider our second point. Your danger. I want to attempt to think through two kinds of dangers. There's some overlap to them, of course. But I want us to think about the danger that a Christian faces. And I want us to think about the danger that that an unbeliever faces. From the perspective of this psalm, you'll see that the danger is kind of in the rearview mirror, isn't it? And there's a sense of relief and gratitude for the Lord's deliverance. But that relief and gratitude is present precisely because there is an accurate grasp of the grave nature of the danger and the narrowness of the escape. Consider that the enemy is fierce. A people rise up against God's people in verse two. They are hungry and on the hunt, verse three. They will not be satisfied until God's people are swallowed whole and they will feel no delight until God's people are utterly drowned by their anger, verses four and five. They stalk the people of God and set traps for them, snares, verse seven. If there's one thing the ancient people of God knew and understood, one thing they were cognizant of, it was that they had enemies. They knew they had enemies because God had enemies. Christian, you need to understand that the world hates you because it hated Jesus. That's what Jesus said earlier when we read from John's gospel. Christian, you need to also understand that the devil hates you because he hated Jesus. And Christian... You need to understand that there are fleshly desires that wage war against your soul because of your remaining and indwelling sin. You face real danger each day. The New Testament teaches us that these are our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it teaches us that they're dangerous and deadly. This is how we need to appropriate and apply this psalm to our lives in the present day. We need to recognize our enemies and the danger that they pose. I wonder, do the, do the words of verse 3, those words, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Do they remind you of what the New Testament says about the devil? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is not out and about and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm over here. No. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's prowling around. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, we're told that the devil, that he set schemes for us, traps for us, to ensnare us. If he tempted Jesus, trying to ensnare Jesus, trap him, then he will certainly seek to tempt us, trap us, and ensnare us. What was it that Luther said in his great hymn? He said, for still our ancient foe doth seek To work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And Luther was certainly right. You are no match for the devil, Christian. On your own and in your own strength. You are no match for the devil. You need the help of the Lord to protect you from him. And the danger that he poses to you. You need the right man The Lord Jesus on your side. Still, the devil, he's at work in a variety of other ways in this world. He's not really even the primary enemy that's in view in this song. It's those whom he is animating and agitating to attack the people of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 tells us that those who are dead in their trespasses and sins are following the devil's lead. The New Testament is clear. That the world can also be a fierce enemy of God's people. The Apostle John even tells Christians in Ephesus not to be surprised by this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, John wrote, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We've already learned from John's gospel that's because Jesus is the reason for that hatred. But sadly, Jesus even told his disciples that sometimes that hatred, it's going to hit really close to home. In fact... It might even come from your home. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 10, verse 36, that a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And members of our own congregation have already faced this. They've been faithful to the Lord Jesus to tell their family about Jesus and the salvation He offers and what He expects of those who are made in His image. And they face the affliction and the hostility of family. They know the truth of Jesus' words. The world generically... Our homes, specifically, are not the only sources that Christians may face hostility from in this world. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, announces an incident where Christians were in danger and even put to death by the governing authorities. This is what we read in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Yes, believers will face affliction from governing authorities in this world. Sometimes they will. Even governing authorities who think they're attempting to do good and care for the world and those under their authority. If the devil and the world were not dangerous enough, we have our own simple flesh to deal with. And the devil and the world, they appeal to our flesh in an effort to entrap us and ensnare us. There was one Puritan minister who said uh, that... The devil, he baits the hook according to the appetites of the fish. Right? He knows what gets at us, what pushes our buttons and what pulls us and compels us. He knows what we're attracted to. He knows the weaknesses of our flesh. This past um, Wednesday morning, at our men's uh, coffee and Bible reading, we read... Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, which says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The great Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 said this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. If the great Apostle Paul needed the Lord's help to do battle, against the flesh, then so do we. And friends, these are dangers that believers in the Lord Jesus face. With the Lord having delivered them from the condemnation of sin and having been on their side. These are dangers that Christians face with the Lord remaining on their side. Here's a question then that needs to be considered. What is your danger if you are not a Christian and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't given your heart and life to Him and haven't submitted to Him and are following Him. If you're here this morning and you're, you're that kind of person, if you're maybe thinking about, should I follow the Lord Jesus? Should I give Him my life? Should I submit to Him and follow Him? You need to know that there's real danger and that there's real deliverance. There is help and hope in Jesus Christ. So what is your danger? Well, the danger that all humanity naturally finds itself in, apart from the grace of God and Jesus Christ, is enslavement to sin, judgment, and hell. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus, He knew what was in the heart of man. At one point in Mark's gospel, this is what Jesus said was in the heart of man. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within. And if we're honest with ourselves about what Jesus just said, then we know that Jesus nailed us at some point in that list. We know the ugliness. Of our own heart. And Jesus knows what's in our hearts. And still He He purposes to deliver people who are filled with those kinds of things. People like you and me. All of this is naturally within us. And here's the thing: we cannot make ourselves clean or get it out of our hearts in our own strength, in our own flesh. Oh, in John chapter six, verse sixty-three, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You need help outside of yourself. You can't make yourself clean before the Holy God. And here's the thing the world and the devil will tempt you at precisely this point. They'll tell you to look to the strength within and the goodness within. But, friend, Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, and you know it too. There is great sinful ugliness in there that we cannot wash ourselves and make ourselves clean. We need to be washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan and the world will tempt you precisely at this point. They will tempt you to help hope in yourself and in your flesh. You will be tempted to believe that you're not really that bad. And that your danger is not really that great. But the scriptures say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately Sick. Do you realize how desperately sick with sin you are? You're in a worse condition than those who've been in an induced coma and put on a ventilator. They can do nothing to make themselves healthy, and you can do nothing to make yourself holy before God. You depend entirely upon Him. You need Him. Your heart is sick. Jeremiah 17.1 says that the sin of Judah was written with a pen of iron. With a point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of the heart. What was true of Judah is true of all. Sin is deeply engraved on the tablets of the hearts of men. And apart from the sovereign work of God, our hearts are filled with evil. What is more... If evil is engraved on the tablet of your heart, you are enslaved to sin. That's what Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. To use the language of our song, you are ensnared in sin. And apart from the delivering help of the Lord, that is the desperate state of your heart. And you are in danger, not merely from the world, Not merely from the devil, but from also the sins that have been charged to your account that you have pursued. And so you are also in danger of the punishment from the holy God. After all, the Lord has chosen a side, as our psalm says. And if he is not for you, then he's against you. The Bible says that the wages of sin, that's the payment that's rightly due to sin, is death. Eternal death, for we've all sinned against the eternal God. Here's the thing. Because God is holy, just, and good, He cannot let sin go unpunished. Your sins must be punished. So the question is, will you continue to trust in yourself or in others? Or will you confess that you were hopeless without the help of the Lord Jesus? The only way to escape this judgment due to sin is to abandon all hope, in anyone or anything, and look to the Lord Jesus alone for help. Friend, there is hope and help. The God of Psalm 124, the God of the Bible, is the one who delivers His people through Jesus Christ. First from the danger of sin and the punishment due to it, and then also from the dangers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He fully and finally delivers His people to glory. And this is what we turn to think about now in our third point. Your deliverance. Your deliverance. How is it that God's people come to know deliverance from danger? From the danger of their sin and from the danger of the world and the flesh and the devil. God's people come to know deliverance from danger because he, the Lord God, has indeed chosen a side. And because he, The Lord God has chosen to stand on the side of His people and save them. If we know deliverance, it is because God has determined to deliver us. It wasn't the people of Israel who delivered themselves from the army of Pharaoh with the Red Sea at their backs. It was God who delivered them. God was there to preserve And protect his people. And part of the lesson that verses 2 to 5 teaches us is that God protects them from final harm. And notice carefully that the Lord does indeed allow his people to face opposition and affliction. That psalm teaches us this, right? That God does allow in his sovereign wisdom and prerogative to to allow his people to face opposition and oppression. The people of God uh, may even be put to death by that opposition and oppression. You heard about that from Acts 12 earlier. But the Lord God stands on the side of His people and He saves them through the opposition and oppression. He does not allow His people to be finally devoured or eternally lost. He does not finally or eternally give them as prey to the teeth of the world, the flesh, and the devil so that they lose their salvation. No, God's people cannot be lost. They will be given their ultimate reward, which is not to enjoy the ease of the world, but to enjoy their master in glory. The Lord God is on the side of His people by sustaining their faith in the trial and giving them faithfulness unto the end of the trial. This is how He helps Christians today. This psalm also teaches us that the Lord God breaks the snare. See, verse seven contains a, a desperate picture of a bird entrapped, ensnared, and struggling to get free. It may struggle with all of its might, but it cannot escape. It wasn't that it just twisted its leg ever so slightly and burst free. No, it's that the Lord broke the snare, and so they escaped. We may struggle with all of our might, but we will not escape unless a compassionate, merciful, and gracious God breaks the snare. And He has broken the snare in Jesus Christ. This is what has happened in our salvation. The Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin and our misery. He convinces us that we're guilty of sin, enslaved to sin, that it's inscribed on our hearts, that we're in danger of God's just judgment, and that we are utterly helpless in our own strength. Friend, have you been convinced of that? H- have you been burdened in your heart to cry out to God, saying, I, I cannot keep from sinning. I I don't want to do this, Lord, but but I don't have the strength to stop sinning. I'm enslaved and ensnared, and I need you to set me free. Would Would you help me? Would you rescue me? Would you deliver me? Friend, have you been convinced of your sinfulness? Friend, did you know that the Holy Spirit does not stop there? He does not simply convince us of our sinfulness. He also comforts us in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shows us the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. He convinces us that the Lord Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience to God the Father for us. He convinces us that Jesus committed no sin and neither was deceit found in His mouth. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 tells us that. The Holy Spirit persuades us that Jesus died on the cross bearing the punishment, the judgment due to our sin. That He died for us. That Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, that's what Galatians 3:13 teaches us. The Holy Spirit assures us that Jesus has escaped the hold of the grave because God the Father raised him from the dead on the third day. Acts chapter two, verse twenty-four tells us that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death and the grave. God the Father broke the snare of the grave. He broke the snare of sin and death in Jesus' resurrection. And this is how we should think about Jesus as the focus and the fulfillment of Psalm 124. Remember, Jesus is that great descendant of David. He is the great son of David. He's the descendant of the one who wrote this psalm. And David spoke as a prophet. Jesus himself said in Luke 24 that he's the fulfillment of the Psalms. Remember how the people rose up in rage against the Lord Jesus. How Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders and the crowd all sought Jesus in their anger and sought his death and they would not be content until he was crucified. Remember how they rose up and rage and put him to death on a cross. but God the Father was on Jesus side and so he raised him from the dead on the third day because we have embraced Jesus in faith and been united to him. That means God the Father was on our side too. And this is why Jesus invites his people to now say to join him in this confession if it were not for the Lord God, Who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, we would have been hopeless. But He has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. So, friend, turn from your sin and make this your confession. I was hopeless without Jesus, but Jesus lived for me. He died for me, bearing the punishment that my sins deserve. And He's been raised from the grave for the forgiveness of my sins. I have help and hope in the Lord Jesus, and this is my confession. Friend, confess your danger. And bless God for the deliverance that He secured in Jesus Christ. This psalm, it helps us to look back at that first great deliverance in Jesus. But it also helps us as we make our pilgrimage in this ongoing life. Remember, this is a a psalm for pilgrims on the way. And here's what this psalm teaches us as believers in Jesus. How we began is how we ought to continue on until we make it safely home. If our confession was, we were helpless without the help of God, or we were hopeless without the help of God, then our confession remains, we are hopeless without the help of God. So God, give us help. Give us help in this life. And Christian, I want to make at least three distinct application points in light of this psalm. Here's the first one. Remember your former and present danger Remember your former and present danger. This psalm, right, it looks back on past danger. We must remember that there was a time when we were outside of Christ and lost in sin. This ought to encourage great humility in us. It ought to remind us that though God's deliverance in Christ has broken the dominating power of sin, it hasn't eliminated sin altogether. We won't receive that blessing until we reach glory we still do battle with the sin that remains in our hearts and we still remain very capable of sinning very grievously this should drive us to ask the Lord for help daily part of our daily prayers probably as we pray we ought to aim at our weakness well, Christian do you know your particular weaknesses what you're tempted toward? You should bring those to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know my heart. You know I struggle with this or that. Would you please give me help this day as I face those temptations, those particular weaknesses. And as we confess them, we should ask God to deliver us from that evil, that very day. And as we pray for the Lord to deliver us from that evil, we should also pray for the Lord to deliver us from the evil one and from the temptation of the world. We would be wise perhaps to go back and revisit The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the Lord's prayer, where Jesus teaches us to pray about these very things. We should beware of being paranoid. Not everyone in the world is out to get us at every moment. But we must be mindful that the world, the flesh, and the devil do have a bent against God's people. So we should be watchful and mindful and sober-minded. We must think theologically and Christianly as we live in this world. And that uh, means remembering our former danger and our, our present danger. But it also means that we should remember our deliverance. And that's the second point of application I want to bring before you, Christian. Remember your deliverance. This psalm, it looks back on past deliverance. And this is appropriate for the people of God to do regularly and daily. Open your day giving thanks to the Lord for your deliverance and salvation in Jesus Christ. Bless God. That's what the psalmist does, right? He, he blesses God for the deliverance that he has and that the people of God have. Bless the Lord for not allowing you to become prey in the teeth of Satan. Close your day blessing God, praising him, thanking him for delivering you from your enemies. Perhaps there was a particular battle of the flesh that you faced that day, and God gave you grace to overcome, strength. To say no. Perhaps you were tempted to look at inappropriate materials. Perhaps you were tempted to fantasize about a man who's not your husband. Uh, Perhaps you were tempted to yell at your kids in anger. Perhaps you were tempted to lie to your parents or your teachers or your friends. Perhaps you were tempted to to cheat on a test. Perhaps you were tempted to complain about your boss or your children. Perhaps you were uh, tempted in these ways and more. But God in His kindness gave you strength and grace to resist the pull of the world the flesh and the devil bless the Lord for the ways in which he delivered you that day in his kindness and mercy bless the Lord for your salvation and invite others to bless the Lord too David wrote this as a confession and he invited Israel to join him in that confession Christian you ought to invite others to make this confession About the great deliverance we know in Jesus Christ. Every day you are talking face to face with someone who is made in the image of God. Who has an eternal future. Is the Lord on their side? If not, tell them how He might be. Tell them how they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. And come to Him in faith. And the Lord Jesus can be on their side rescuing them. And defeating their enemies in His power and grace. Tell them about how God broke the snare in Jesus' resurrection. Invite them to be delivered from their slavery to sin. Invite them to bless the Lord for the salvation available in Jesus Christ. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And how He helps them is by commissioning believers to witness to the Lord Jesus' deliverance and His power and might. Finally, third point of application. Remember the Lord's character and power. Remember the Lord's character and power. It is not by accident that over and over again, this psalm uses the covenant name of the Lord. Those capital letters, L-O-R-D, remind us of God's covenant name, Yahweh. I'll often read it. I'll just say Yahweh right after I read. Lord, reading through the Old Testament. This is the name by which God committed Himself to preserve and protect His people and secure His promises of bringing a Messiah, a Savior, into the world. So when the world raises up in rage and hostility against God's people, we must remember that the covenantally committed God is on our side. He will not let our souls be lost and His promises shall last. We must remember that His love can never fail because He can never fail. He is faithful. And joined to His loving and faithful character is His sovereign power over creation. Again, it's not by accident that this Psalm concludes with the confession, our help is in the name of the Lord Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. The Lord who is lovingly and faithfully committed to his people, made man, and he rules over all that he has made. When creatures raise their heads in anger against God's people, it is important for us to remember that God is in control. Right, facing this rage, ah, yes. yes this, is, this is dangerous. There, there is some cause for caution. But the Lord made you. He, he's in control. And I, I need to remember that. He has, he has power. He rules over sin. He even overrules sin. God is in control. And as I mentioned earlier, that when this psalm says there in verse 2, that the people rose up against us, It uses that word from Genesis 2 when God made man. He he made the dust, right? God rules over all that he has made. He is author and he has authority over all that he has made and authored. And here we need to remember that we have a God who is loving and powerful. We need not fear for he has lovingly committed himself to us and he has the power to protect us. Or if we, if we only had love, we would have a sentimental God. If, there was, if God was uh, power without love, we would only have a tyrannical God. But we have a God who loves us and has the power to protect us and preserve us unto the end. He is on our side. He is indeed for us. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 8? It's exactly what Paul said in Romans 8. And if... There's something of a, a New Testament expression of the thought and idea of this psalm that's found there in Romans 8. So I want us to read that together. Turn in your Bibles. As we conclude, let's read Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8, verse 31. That's on page 944 of the Bibles provided. I think it's on the bottom of that page. And as we read this portion of God's Word, I, I want you to notice how God's love is expressed and His power over all creation is expressed too. Paul writes this in Romans 8, verse 31, beginning there. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, brothers and sisters, this is our confession. We are not hopeless, for we have the loving help of the God who made heaven and earth and has shown himself to be loving and powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all our help and hope.